All right, good morning. Good morning, everybody. <laughs> All right. Good to see everybody today. And um, let me start by saying what an action-packed week. What an action-packed week we had. Let me go through it. Number one, had a great community day, if you were able to be a part of that. Had a great pumpkin carving time and everything. Everybody had a great time fellowshipping coming together. Number two, on Thursday, we had a great book lot. Where's where our Warner Rica? Yeah, with our book lot doing uh, outreach to the children of the community. They had Heroes Day dressed up, and we're talking about our ultimate hero, King Jesus, uh, through the gospel. Um, number four, let me tell you something Friday and Saturday, Friday and Saturday. Sold out, sold out, I'm telling you, sold out to minister this good news to people through dance and the arts. We are so proud of our dance team and all that they've done to really minister the gospel of Jesus Christ in the city using their gifts and talents. And so let's give it up to them once again. Sold out. And if you weren't able to get in, you were able to go to a community group this week. Come on now. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so a lot happening, a lot going on, and Jesus is good. And so with that in mind, we are happy to be worshiping with you today. If I don't know you yet, my name is Roland. I'm the lead pastor here. Looking forward to getting to know you and uh, walk with you. And I'm going to tell you the truth. I was ready to call the entire city to repentance today because on the way to church, I stepped in something. Uh, yeah, and I, I was going to entitle this message, Clean Up After Your Dog, okay? That's what I was going to call this message, but I'm going I'm to instead entitle it today, Watch What You Step In, okay? Watch what you step in, and you'll see the point today, okay? What we've been doing is we've been going through a series called The Good News According to Luke, and our focus today is this, that we must regularly check ourselves, not just our shoes, but check ourselves and strive to stay near the heart of God to produce the fruit that Jesus desires in our lives. How many people can say amen to that? We must regularly check ourselves. And so what we're going to do is we're going to talk about this today by breaking the message into three parts. We're going to talk about making sure we're not fooling ourselves. Number two, making sure we're not missing the point. And then number three, making sure that we're not missing Jesus himself. Okay, so let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word to us today. And we thank you that you've given it to us that we might know you love you, and walk with you in your fullness. God, we're asking you today that by your Holy Spirit, you would illuminate your word and not only give us understanding about what you've already said, but show us how to practically apply it each and every day of our lives, that we might not just be hearers of your word, but also doers who please you in all that we say, all that we think, every way we interact, and everything that we do in Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said, Amen. Okay, so let's start by talking about making sure that we are not fooling ourselves. Now, why are we talking about this? Let me bring it all around. It's fall. It is fall, and it's beautiful outside, is it not? This is literally my favorite time of year. Not too hot, not too cold. The leaves are falling. We are in a city, so I don't have to rake 
like I said before, <laughs> right? And I'm telling you, it is one of the best times of year just to get out and enjoy the city. But in the midst of all the beauty that surrounds us, as I have already said, you've got to watch what you're stepping in. Because all of a sudden, what you see is those leaves, though they be beautiful, they might contain something that you weren't prepared for. That is actually what happened to me on the way to church today. I had to turn around and go change. And so with that in mind, I'm telling you that it was a parable for me that I'll never forget. <laughs> I will never forget because the beauty that people are often running after in this life, the pleasures that people are often running after in this life, they don't realize it comes with something that smells. They don't realize that it comes with something that stinks. And if it weren't for my wife and her sensitive nose, oftentimes I would be unaware of what I was actually carrying with me. And a lot of times we're often unawares of the smell or the stench that we've allowed to attach itself to us because we've been involved in things that might look beautiful, but they carry the stench of the world and not the aroma of God. And what we need to be are people who actually are giving ourselves to the aroma of God, the pleasure of God, by first not fooling ourselves. So, number one, we must make sure that we are not fooling ourselves in our walk with God. Why do we say that? Because Jesus said it in Luke chapter 13. Let's start reading in verse 1. It says, There were some present at that very time who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. <clears throat> and he answered them, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or those 18 on whom the Tower of Siloam fell and killed them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And he told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. And he said to the vine dresser, Look, for three years now I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree, and I find none. Cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? And he answered him, Sir, let it alone about this year also, until I dig around it and put on manure. Then, if it should bear fruit next year, well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. And so what Jesus is talking about here is ultimately, again, one of these messages that we would often skip over in our daily devotion time, right? In our regular Bible reading. How many people don't really regularly dwell on Luke chapter 13? Repent or perish. Okay? But we often, we often should think about it, especially as we're coming back into our election years and into our news cycles, right? Because everybody's casting stones. Everybody's pointing fingers. And everybody's talking about how the other person on the other side of the aisle, right, is so wrong, so wicked, so atrocious in all their thoughts, opinions, and lifestyles, right, that it could never, never be anything that we would ever want to understand or put up with. But here's what Jesus said. In this time, he's basically reporting just like Fox News or CNN would, right? He said, literally, there were some Galileans. Pilate killed them and mixed their blood with their sacrifices. 
Another group of people, they died because a tower fell on them. Pretty bad things, right? Jesus was reporting the news. And in their binary culture, they often thought, well, if somebody's wicked, they're going to get their just desserts, right? That, that, that sacrifice that they were offering, the reason that Pilate did that to them is because they were wicked people. The reason the tower fell on them is because they were so wicked, more wicked than me, obviously, because I'm here. I'm here, right? But Jesus said, hey, listen, I'm going to tell you the truth. It's easy to want to point fingers at other people, but we need to check ourselves. He says, unless you repent, you also likewise will perish along with them. Maybe not now, but in a time to come, Jesus says, you better be ready. I had a caption for us today, and often remember we talk about Jesus whenever he's speaking, and he says, hey, listen, don't just talk about the plank that's in your brother's eye, or the, uh, the sawdust, rather, there you go, the sawdust that's in your brother's eye when you have a plank in your own. And oftentimes as Christians, we go up to people saying, hey, listen, you need to change. Open your eye. I'm going to blow a little bit for you. I'm going to get that sawdust that's been irritating you, that's been bothering your life out. And all the while, we're the great physician, right, with that log sticking out of our own. Has anybody been there before? Has anybody been there even in your own household? Oh, yes. Get real, right? In marriage, I, 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 had, I, I couldn't even see. I had so many planks coming out of my eye. I can remember in the beginning of marriage, going to God all the time, talking about, Lord, when will you instruct me in your righteous ways? <laughs> and I felt like there was silence. And then I opened my Bible, and then all of a sudden it was a mirror to me, and I saw how many issues that I had that were coming out of my life, my selfishness, my lack of forgiveness, my arrogance, mind you. And all of a sudden, God said, before you look at the sawdust in your wife's eye, before you look at the sawdust in the world around you, get the plank out of your own. And Jesus is saying, we need to check ourselves to make sure that we're repenting unless we ourselves perish as well. We deceive ourselves thinking that we are right with God when we simply compare ourselves to others that we think live worse lives than ourselves. How many people could say that is true? That's a lot of times why people say they don't want to necessarily come to God because they, call, they say, hey, listen, I'm not like Hitler. I'm not like Mussolini. I'm not like Kim Jong. I'm not a crazed maniac, right? And then all of a sudden we're talking about, we're talking about coming to God, a righteous and a holy God, not comparing yourself to anyone you think worse than yourself, but whenever God's talking about making coming to him in relationship, he's always, always measuring you based on his commands and not what anyone else does. It's about relationship with him, and so you're going to have to measure up in relationship with him and not anybody else. How many people could say amen to that? It's going to be, how do I stand before a righteous God? How have I or not obeyed his righteous decrees and commandments? And that's why God calls not just some people, but all people. Everybody say all people. All people to repentance. Doesn't matter how near or far away they are. Doesn't matter if they've grown up in church or like myself were people who did not. He commands all people everywhere to repent.
to repent. And repentance means to change our minds, submit to God's truth, and ultimately go in a different direction. But if we're going to repent before a holy and righteous God, we've got to know what to repent of. Because so many times we disqualify ourselves from the need to repent because we don't count our sins as big sins. Isn't that the truth? We call everyone else's sins big sins and ours just little itty-bitty ones, right? That's why in our culture we have terms like white lies, right? Anybody ever told a white lie before? Oh, it's not a big lie. It's just an itty-bitty lie. God doesn't really care about that. Or does he? Galatians chapter 5 says this, and you've got to understand the context of Galatians 5. The Apostle Paul was talking not to the world on the outside of the church, but he was talking to the church of Jesus Christ. Does anybody here belong to the church of Jesus Christ? So this is a message not to the world, but to us. And he says, but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh, meaning your sinful nature. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. They're plain. So he's saying, here are the things that you need to turn from. Change your mind, go in a different direction, and live for the pleasure of God. He said the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, putting any person, thing, or idea, or pursuit above God and before him, sorcery, enmity, strife. Okay, here we go now. Let's get real in our city. Jealousy. Fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions. Here's another one. Envy. Envy. Anybody ever think of that as a sin before? I just want to do and have what other people have. All the time we were talking about covetousness last week. Envy. Drunkenness. Orgies. And things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Will not inherit the kingdom of God. So who is he talking to here? Is he talking to the world or the church? I already gave you the answer. Please listen. Okay? He's talking to the church. He's talking to the church. I warn you, church, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. So how should we live? He follows it up with the fruit of the Spirit. He said the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Against such things, thank you, <laughs> against such things, there is no law, right? So all of a sudden he said, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. How? By crucifying the flesh with its passions and desires and ultimately checking ourselves that we might live for the pleasure of God. How many people can say amen to that? So if you found to have, that you've been a tree planted in God's vineyard without producing any fruit, this is ultimately a wake-up call. This is a wake-up call. A wake-up call to repent so that you are not eventually cut down and, according to Jesus, thrown into the fire. Never forget that the thing that can cause you to grow and save your life 
may be repugnant to you at first. Like the manure, right? This is very near and dear to my heart on the way to church today, right? The thing that actually can cause you to grow might be the thing that rubs you at first. Might be the person calling you to repentance at first. Anybody ever been irritated before by a brother or sister who are calling them to repentance? Oh, yeah. Irritated. Be like, get out my face, dude. But then I went to pray and he said the same thing and I was like, oh, no. I'm sorry. <laughs> right? This is what he said. Give it one more year. Work around it. Fertilize it. If it bears fruit, then great. If not, cut it down. But ultimately, we don't want to miss the point. Number two, we must stay close to the heart of Jesus to make sure we are bearing the fruit he wants us to bear. How many people want, believe and know that God doesn't want to cut anybody down? He wants everybody to come to life. He wants all men to come to repentance and the knowledge of the truth in Jesus Christ. Isn't that what the Bible says? God doesn't desire any man or any woman to perish. That's the reason that Jesus was sent, right? Not to condemn the world, but to be a savior to the world. But he calls people to repentance. And often in Jesus' ministry, he was talking about the Sabbath. And let me commend every one of you today for putting God first. On your Sabbath, putting God first, starting your week out and saying, I'm going to start my week by worshiping Almighty God. Isn't that good news? Isn't that good news? We're here together putting God first. But on the Sabbath, a lot of times we can miss the point of what, he, what it's all about. And in verse 10 of chapter 13, Jesus spoke to that. He says, now he, meaning Jesus, was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And behold, there was a woman who had, been, who had a disabling spirit for 18 years. 18 years. She was bent over and could not fully straighten herself. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, Woman, you are freed from your disability. How many people know that that's good news? The compassion of God. He said, listen, woman, for 18 years you've been bound by the Spirit, but I'm telling you now, you are freed from your disability. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight. And she glorified God. But the ruler of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, said to the people, there are six days in which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be healed, and not on the Sabbath day. How many people know the ruler of the synagogue missed the point? Missed the heart of God. See, previously in this gospel, Jesus was talking about being Lord of the Sabbath. And so he was talking about who's in charge of the Sabbath. In this moment, he's talking about the meaning of the Sabbath, why we come together. And ultimately, Jesus is showing us by what he does. He's saying, listen, I'm not just Lord of the Sabbath. Watch what I do, and you'll see what the meaning of the Sabbath is, that you are able to enter my rest. You're able to not strive anymore, not work for approval anymore, not work for your sense of value or dignity anymore. I, God Almighty, place dignity on you that's free and full of grace, and I'm telling you, I want to free you of your disability. Then the Lord answered, you hypocrites, does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to water it? And not, not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, who Satan bound for 18 years, be loose from this bond on the Sabbath day. And he said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame, and all the people rejoiced 
at the glorious things that were done by him. He said, therefore, what is the kingdom of God like? And to what shall I compare it? It's like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his garden. And it grew and became a tree, and the birds of the air made nests in its branches. And again, he said, to what shall I compare the kingdom of God? It's like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour until it was all leavened. Jesus was saying, listen, the point of the Sabbath, the point of you coming together is not only to reorder your focus around me, but it doesn't matter how long you've been bound in sin. It doesn't matter how long you've been bound mentally or spiritually. How many people know that in an instant, Jesus can set you free? supernaturally he can set you free and not just set you free in a moment but though it might start out as a seed in your life he says the kingdom of god works into every aspect every relationship every decision of your life so that it becomes like the leaven working itself through the whole batch of dough it becomes like the tree that grows and becomes the largest of all the garden plants so that even others benefit from the same hope that you have in god and have been touched by yourself. He says, don't miss the heart of God. Stay near it. He's not just calling us to repentance, but he wants us to know he's coming alongside to help. He's coming alongside to heal. He's coming alongside to restore. And though you have been bound in and of yourself, Jesus says, not only can I set you free, but I'll give you power to set other people free as well in Jesus' name. How many people believe that today? He said, don't miss the point. When we understand the point that he's come to heal, ultimately we make it our ambition not to miss Jesus, right? I know he's called me to repentance. I know his heart is ultimately to heal me and others through my life, right? So how is it that I can order my way in such a way that I don't miss Jesus? You see, there's something very different between being culturally Christian and actually being a disciple. Can everybody say amen to that? What God's looking for, not just converts, he's looking for disciples. Those who pattern their thoughts, their speech, their lives, their actions around Jesus the King. And he's looking for disciples who ultimately will go and make disciples. But part of how we understand the difference between just being a cultural Christian and being a disciple is understanding the difference between being in the presence of God and actually having the pleasure of God. There's a difference between being in the presence of God and actually having the pleasure of God. Today, we're in his presence. Good news, right? The Bible says where two or more are gathered in his name, there he is with us. So we're in the presence of God right now. And we can be touched and changed by the living God. How many people know you can leave his presence and then go and live like hell? There are plenty of people who do. And so often people have been satisfied with just being in the presence of God 
but haven't ordered their lives as disciples for the pleasure of God. And this is what Jesus is calling to account in this final scripture. Number three, we must submit and come to come Christ's way if we ever hope to enter the kingdom of God. Luke 13, verse 22. Jesus has said he went on his way through towns and villages, teaching and journeying toward Jerusalem. And someone said to him, Lord, will those who are saved be few? And he said to them, strive. Which means what? Put forth some effort. It means not cruise control, not assuming that all's cool and okay, right? Anybody ever get a ticket before because you kept it on cruise control when the speed limit precipitously dropped? That's okay, only me. Okay? I was like, we're cool, dude. I was like, my bad. And then I repented, right? Point of the message. He said, strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. So God already said he wants all men to repent, to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth, right? That's God's heart. But he's also saying here that many will try to enter what will not be able. He said, when once the master of those of the house, rather, has risen and shut the door, and you begin to stand outside and to knock at the door, saying, Lord, open to us. Then he will answer you, I do not know where you come from. You've been doing your own thing. Uh, you've been about your own business, not mine. I don't know where you've been. I don't know where you come from. Then you will begin to say, but Lord, we ate and drank in your presence. We ate and drank in your presence. Every Sunday we were there, eating and drinking in your presence. And you taught in our streets. God, I listen to you version every day. I listen to my, I read my one Bible verse a day by the rotating picture of Christians who look happy. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. So you, he's saying you are in my presence, but you still live like you wanted to. You ate at my table, but you still left the table and did what you wanted to. I don't know where you were been, you've been or what you've, where you've come from. And Jesus said, depart from me, all you workers of evil. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. When you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves cast out. And people will come from east and west and from north and south and recline at table in the kingdom of God. And behold, some who are last who will be first and some are first who will be last. At that very hour, some Pharisees, the religious leaders, came and said to him, you know what, I don't like what you have to say. I don't like that. I'm religious. I don't like you calling me on the carpet, Jesus. Get away from here. For Herod wants to kill you. Why don't you get out of here? You get out of Herod's, get out of Herod's hair, get out of ours. 
And he said to them, Go and tell that fox, Behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow, and the third day I finish my course. Nevertheless, I must go on my way today and tomorrow and the day following, for it cannot be that a prophet should perish away from Jerusalem, talking about where he would die on the cross for our sins. And once again, Jesus, in the midst of this great exhortation, once again cries out to the people and gives us his heart. He says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets, those who are calling people back to righteousness, back to the law, back to godly living, back to the spirit of life, the law of the spirit of life, right? We want to kill the prophets, don't we? Come on now, be honest. Don't we want to get rid of people who seem too fanatic? I remember when I, when I got uh, saved, <laughs> I remember everybody was happy with me as long as I was partying like everybody else. As long as I was drinking like everybody else, as long as I was going from woman to woman like everybody else, everybody was like, oh, Roland's a good, healthy young man. But as soon as I repented of my sin and said, you know what, I'm going to treat women with respect. Instead of partying Friday night, I'm going to open the Bible. They were like, what? All of a sudden, I tried to serve my community rather than just take from it. Then all of a sudden, people were like, what's wrong with Roland? There's something wrong. He's, he's gone overboard. What's wrong with him? People started calling me all sorts of names. Wondering what's up. And I'm like, I'm just a man who's a new creation. I'm a man who's seen life. I'm a man who's been born again. I'm a man who's been set free from the things that were destroying me. And the same party that I was with you at last night and that we're trying to get over today, worrying about what we picked up. Let me tell you something. You could be free of that too. Because I heard Jesus say, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often... I would have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings. But you are not willing. Behold, your house is forsaken. And I tell you, you will not see me until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And some of you are looking for God's help. Some of you are looking for change in your life. But you're missing Jesus because you won't listen to his word that's being presented to you. You hear it in his presence over and over again, but you don't do anything with it. You don't change and put it into practice. And he says, you're asking for my help, but you won't see me until you say, blessed is he or she who comes in the name of the Lord. Thank God for this word challenging me. Thank God for this word that sets me free from my envy and rivalry, dissension, my drunkenness. Thank God for this word that sets me free from my sexual immorality and sin. God says, when you can say that, then he can move on your behalf. When you can actually say, though it challenged me, though it rub against me, though it actually pushed me to a place I may not have been before, if I allow God's word into my life and say, blessed is he or she who comes in the name of the Lord, God will meet with me and supernaturally change me like just like that woman who'd been crippled for 18 years. Don't tell God how long it's been since you've been free. He knows. 
He knows. And the good news is he can meet with you today and set you free if you'll just submit to him in faith. Blessed are you, God. Touch me, church. One last scripture, and we're done. Paul, going back to the Apostle Paul, took Jesus' words, and he actually said this. He actually says this. Because, that's what I said, committing to Jesus as Lord means an absolute submission or otherwise known as surrender. Surrender to God's commands and following the specific direction of the Holy Spirit in your life by which we will glorify God. And if we do, we'll be able to say like the Apostle Paul, so we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yet we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Ain't Christians long for that, to be at home with the Lord? Let me tell you something. That should be all of our cry. Do you know it gets better than now? What we're headed towards as Christians is better than now? Better than what we see? I've said this many times before, but I love this as a pastor. Like there was a pastor who, who said before, for the unbeliever, this world is as good as it gets and how sorrowful that is. But for the believer, those who put their faith in Jesus, his death, burial, and resurrection for our sins, this world is as bad as it gets. And he says, that's why I'm telling you I long to put aside this body and be with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we can make it our aim to please him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Every one of us. Every one of us. We are saved by what Jesus does for us and has already done for us, but you will ultimately be rewarded by what you do for him. And my question to you today is, as you check yourself, as you make sure you're not missing the point, and ultimately, as you look to see whether or not you're missing Jesus, my question is, how are you ordering your life? Are you ordering your life for the pleasure of God? Or are you simply satisfied to be in his presence? Are you ordering your life for the pleasure of God? Or are you simply satisfied to be in his presence? The call today is to come through the narrow door. The narrow door. Wide is the gate. And broad is the road that leads to destruction. And he says many enter through that. Narrow is the road and hard is the way that leads to life. And only a few find it. That's what Jesus says. Blessed be those who are on the narrow and amongst the few. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you, thank you for your word to us today. And God, we thank you that 
even though we can be in a soup, Father of godlessness, even though we can be in a culture full of sin and not even realize what we've picked up, the smells or the, the patterns, the habits, the ambitions that we've picked up, that God, through your word, you give us an opportunity to be cleansed day after day, week after week, and year after year to be brought back to a place where we can judge ourselves that we not fall under judgment like the rest of the world. And God, I'm asking that every person today would have a moment in time to meet with you. Not just to be in your presence, but to really relate with you. Whether they're here today or watching online, God, let this be a moment of prayer and reflection. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would show us the ways that we've been living according to the flesh rather than the spirit. The ways that we've been exalting the things that the world honors and desires above you, your kingdom and your purposes. And God, we pray that you would show us how to once again, not only hear your voice, but meet you on the narrow path. I want to pray for anyone here who says, you know what, truth be told, I've been like that woman who for 18 years of my life, I've been so bound up in my thinking, so bound up in my relationships, so bound up in my spiritual life that I really haven't had any hope that it could be any different than what I've experienced up to this point. I've come week after week to the presence of God, but I just can't break free and find myself remaining the same. But today, I, I have faith that Jesus can heal me just like that woman on the Sabbath. But I need his help. If that's you in here today, would, we, would you raise your hand? I want to start by praying for you. Anyone who says, I have prolonged torment, prolonged sin in my life. Okay, anyone else? Good. Okay, all across this place. God, you see the humble hearts. And God, we pray that even according to your word, you, says you, you said you oppose the proud but give your grace to the humble. God, I'm asking that you would do something supernatural today and give my brothers and sisters the ability not just to make a decision for you but to walk out the freedom that you've provided for them by your word and the Holy Spirit in Christ. God, we're praying for those who've been bound in their bodies even that, God, you would release your supernatural healing. Healing for ailments. Healing for disease. Father, healing for even spiritual torment. God, we speak to those spirits and we command them to flee in Jesus' name. Those tormenting spirits that try to take people apart and rip them apart emotionally, mentally, and spiritually. In the dark places, God, we pray that you would deliver your people today. God, we pray that you would give them strength. Strength to run after you. Strength to live for your pleasure. Strength to know their identity in you and to really walk in the freedom that you have for them. We're taking our time right now because this is what it means, not just to be in the presence of God, but to have an opportunity to relate with him. Nobody needs to be in a rush. If this is unfamiliar to you, 
it needs to become familiar to you. Lingering with God. Relating with God. Not just reading or hearing his word. But approaching God based on that word. And allowing him to speak to you. And if there's anyone else in here, I want to speak to other people who may have come into this place and they've never really submitted their life to Jesus. They've heard about Jesus before, but they know that if they were to stand before him today in the judgment, they would stand before him as a rebel and not a saint. You've lived for yourself or you've lived in unbelief, but today you know you want to receive what Jesus has done for you. You want to turn away from your sin. Turn away from your drunkenness. Turn away from your sexual morality. Turn away from your envy and jealousy, dissensions and factions. You want to proclaim Jesus as Lord and say, God, make me a new man or a new woman. If that's you, I want to pray for you. Is there anyone like that in here? Anyone at all? We all know that we're going to appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And even anybody online, if this is your moment, don't miss it. Don't miss Jesus who can meet you as you pray. And Father, I pray that you would allow every man and woman not only to test themselves, but if this is their moment to come to you, that you would hear their cry. You would set them free from their sin. You would make them a new creation and show them how to love you as you've loved them by the power of your resurrection from the dead from this point forward. Let the power of the cross be made known to people today. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, how many people feel like God had some things to, just as even in your moment of prayer, had some things to speak to you? Anybody at all? Had some things that he wanted you to consider, to reevaluate? Well, if so, it doesn't stop in this moment, but you take it with you. You take that posture with you saying, God, I want to live for your pleasure, not only in this moment, but after I leave this place, after I leave your metaphorical presence, that I might order all my days around you. So can we start by doing that with worship now as we end our service today? We're going to have a, a moment of communion. And so if you are on this, uh, my right, there's a basket for you right here. If you're on my left, there's a basket for you right here. If you haven't gotten a communion cup yet, let's keep the main thing, the main thing, and honor the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. So rise to your feet, get your communion cup if, we, if you need it, and then we'll go back into worship together.